It's good to be with everyone tonight. It's good to hear awesome worship. That's what gets me going is worshiping. So thank you guys for singing with your hearts. I can tell uh, that you're into it. So I am only 20 years old, but I think that I can say that the past year or two, this rhetoric of panic has been rampant in our country more than I ever remember seeing. And that may just be because I'm young and I've only now started to see it, but from my perspective, it's really become a big deal very recently. Um, people are worried and afraid about the election that's going on now. People are worried about the next four years because most Americans that I know at least are unhappy with both of the nominees right now. Um, many people are worried about violence and war that's going on in the Middle East. And then even with the Olympics that just started this past weekend in Brazil, there's the Zika virus that has everybody terrified. And it seems like no matter what you look to, there's a reason to be worried about it. And I feel like that's not what God wants for us. I feel like he doesn't want us to be sitting down here on earth like we're in a little cage, periodically being poked at with a stick or something, just waiting for that day that we get to get let out and we get to go to heaven. I feel like that's not what God wanted for us. So I'm going to read uh, Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 30, and I think that this will speak a lot to that situation. It says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectations for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he, who's, he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. The first verse that I read, chapter 8, verse 18, says something that's easy to understand when you first read it, but when you try to apply it to real life, it seems completely foreign and counterintuitive. It says, our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. When we're in the midst of suffering, it can be impossible to see the goodness of heaven that God has planned for us. There's a story of a youth minister who worked at a church for several years and led the program at that church to be very, very successful. Some years into his ministry, however, 
a teenage girl at the church accused him of having inappropriate relations with her. Unfortunately, it was taken to court. Now, the minister, he was innocent and everybody knew it because the girl's claims were outrageous. But because it was such a severe accusation, everything had to be taken seriously. For over a year, this trial went on with his family unable to communicate to anybody outside the situation what was going on, for them being unable to do anything but pray and hope that God would protect them. Trial after trial, and several nights where the minister had to spend in jail, um, a year of hoping that his kids wouldn't lose their father, a year struggling through sleepless nights, a year of pain that never should have happened in the first place. It was a year of praying that this minister's life wouldn't be ruined. Have we ever been in that sort of situation where we're going along through life, trying to live as God wants us to, and all of a sudden everything gets flipped upside down and nothing is fair anymore and we feel like we're drowning? You see, right now, we as a creation are bound to a life on earth that involves pain and suffering intrinsically, sometimes on a daily basis. We're sitting down here on earth reading the Bible and worshiping and praying and singing and ministering and fellowshipping and doing everything that we can trying to live for Jesus. But no matter what we do, no matter how much focus and time and energy we put into living for God, there will always be bad things that are going on around us and always be bad things that happen to us. Following God doesn't earn us the life of no suffering. Some things may work out better because we're following God, but there's no guarantee that life will be easy. Both the Bible and modern day are full of stories of bad things happening to good people. Sometimes these good people suffer simply because they are good. Their faith brings persecution. That youth minister, he was targeted by this girl because he was a spiritual leader. She looked up to him and she idolized him because he was doing what God wanted him to do. But for some reason, she was moved to accuse him of these terrible things. Why do things like this happen? In verses 20 and 21, Paul says that this world was subjected to frustration or futility, and that frustration embodies itself as a bondage to death or decay. Basically, that means because humanity fell away as a whole from God, way back in the Garden of Eden, God separated himself from us. The glory of God was taken away from us. And so, what did he leave us with? Pain, and disease, hunger, war, hatred, and suffering. When we're surrounded by these things, it's so easy for us to look at it all and say, hey God, what are you doing? Don't, don't you see what's going on down here? What did I do to deserve this? I thought that I was following your word and living for you, so why is this happening to me? Can it get any better than what's going on here right now? And in that situation, it's so, so easy to just give up. But what did verse 18 say? It said, our present sufferings are less than our future glory. See, we have all this bad stuff going on in the world around us, and even in our own lives, sometimes because of our faith, and sometimes for no reason at all. But outweighing all of that is this hope that we have in heaven. We have hope that our future with God can destroy all of these bad things and make us forget about them and move on to something greater. Unfortunately, we can't actually see that future in heaven just yet. Because this curse of this fallen world gets in our way, and we literally just can't see it. So all we can do is hope for it to come. But that hope is powerful because the Holy Spirit of God is in interceding for us. When we have the evils of the world weighing down on us and smothering us to the point where we don't even know how to begin talking to God, the Holy Spirit comes inside of us and listens to the groanings of our heart. 
That peace of God, the Holy Spirit, can be an advocate for us in ways that we could never be on our own. The Holy Spirit is like a lawyer, pleading our case to God, sharing things that we can't understand, the thoughts and feelings that we can't express. And God, the merciful judge, is sitting up there and listening to the lawyer that is the Holy Spirit, hearing about the suffering that we're going through and looking down at us with loving and merciful eyes. Even though we have no words to say about our present sufferings, the Holy Spirit passes them on to God for us. Verses 28 through 30 tell us how God responds when we communicate these sufferings to him through the Holy Spirit. He hears us. And because he knows that we love him, he works for our good, as it says in verse 28. Just like the story of Joseph back in Genesis, who was sold into slavery by his own brothers and then thrown into jail by his employer, eventually God took him up out of this terrible situation and made him to be the second in command of Egypt and led his family out of famine and into salvation. In Genesis 50, verse 20, just when the story of Joseph is wrapping up, Joseph says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. See, Joseph's brothers, their intention was for him to die, and God took him away from that death and turned it around to save those same brothers. Joseph realized once all of these ordeals had over, been overcome, once he'd made it through all the suffering, that God has used his suffering for good. And you know, God did the same thing with his son, Jesus, the son of God, God in the flesh. He came down on this earth and humanity tortured and killed him. But God pulled him out of that grave and used the sacrifice of his life to be the source of salvation for that same humanity that tortured and killed him. God took these terrible things that happened to Joseph and to Jesus and turned them into something good. And he'll do the same thing for us. Remember that youth minister that I was telling you about? Well, after the year-long trial, he was finally acquitted and all of his charges were dropped. He continued in ministry at the church and uh, was likely a better minister for all of the things that he understood, the new perspective he had on all the blessings that he'd received from God and how fragile that they were. Just like that minister and just like Joseph and just like Jesus, God takes the hurt and heartache out of our lives and has the ability to pull them, pull something good out of them. What will this good look like here on earth? I don't know. I don't think any of us do. I think that we quietly expect that this good will happen on earth. But the real good that Paul's talking about in Romans is not anything here on earth. It's being accepted into the kingdom of God, where there is no more pain or suffering like that which plagues us here on earth. And we're accepted into that kingdom through Jesus. Jesus was God's firstborn son who suffered and died on this earth. And God is calling us to be Jesus' brothers and sisters, to suffer and die just like he did for his sake, so that he can pull something good out of our lives and make us to be like Jesus. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 says, Jesus is speaking to his disciples and says, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Jesus is literally asking us to sacrifice ourselves for his sake. If he's asking us to do that, if he is on our side, what shall we do in response? If he is for us, then who or what can be against us? Pain or disease or hunger 
or war or famine, drought, hatred, doubt, fear, lust, death, anything else on this earth? No. None of these things that we have to suffer through in this life can take us away from the gift that God gives us through his son. Paul puts it better than I ever could in verses 38 and 39 of Romans chapter 8. He says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor principalities, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. You see, the love of Jesus is guaranteed to overpower any suffering, to outlast any hardship. The love of Jesus will persevere through this election we're in. The love of Jesus will persevere through the next four years after the election is over. The love of Jesus will persevere through the conflict going on in the Middle East. The love of Jesus will persevere through a time when innocent civilians are murdered and a time when innocent police officers are murdered. The love of Jesus will heal the hearts of the homeless and the bodies of the abused and the minds of the mistreated. Absolutely nothing at all will ever take that love away from any single human being that has lived or is living or will one day live on this earth. That's the gift that God gives to us. He can pull away the bondage to death and decay and bring us not only into new life, but also into his glory and his kingdom. That's the gift that God gives us. Because of that love, we can confidently say that it gets better no matter what. The way to fully receive the gift of God's love is through baptism. Only through putting Jesus Christ on in the waters of baptism can we be given entrance into the kingdom of heaven on earth and know with confidence that God's glory will be revealed in us. I don't know what you're suffering for the sake of your faith or what you're suffering for the sake of this fallen world or whatever that situation looks like. But no matter where you're coming from, we have to remember that we have this hope in Jesus. God will work for our good and release us from this suffering when his kingdom fully returns in all its glory. No matter what's plaguing us, we have that hope because of our baptism into his son. Some of us may never have been baptized into Jesus to receive the hope of that gift. Or perhaps some of us just need to remember the hope of that gift that's already been given to us. Because the sufferings of this world have gotten in the way and made us forget about the hope that we have in Jesus. Whatever situ situation you may be in, if God is calling you to respond, I invite you to do so as we stand and sing.